the biggest stories from the pages of the London Free Press and LFPress.com. This is the London Free Press Podcast with your host, Rachel Gilbert. Welcome to the London Free Press Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. Uh, There were lots of cheers and remorse during a sentencing hearing this week for an impaired driver who killed her friend. So today I'm talking with London Free Press court reporter Jane Sims about the death of 23-year-old Beulah Peters and the sentencing of Kelly Jacobs. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Jane's career as a court reporter uh, towards the end of the podcast. So hi, Jane. How are you? Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. This is the first time that I've had you on, so I'm glad that we've got this opportunity. Um, unfortunately, we're never talking about good things, I assume, when we're when we're talking with you. Um, and this case is no different. So let's just kind of go over the case. First of all, um, what happened the night that um, that Beulah Peters was killed? Kelly Jacobs and Beulah Peters were out partying. This was the night of December 2nd, 2018. So just kind of set the scene for us. What were they doing that night before this crash? Sure. Here's what we, we heard during the trial, which was which was uh, last fall. Um, Kelly Jacobs uh, was out with uh, Beulah Peters and some other friends. They had uh, gotten together to go to Tiger Jacks in South London, driven there. There was evidence of a lot of drinking. There was evidence of uh, them heading back to uh, Chippewa and Muncie. Uh, just uh, southwest of the city, uh, there was uh, there was evidence of some uh, poor driving. Uh, one of the occupants got out of the uh, truck uh, at home, and the rest of them carried on on a on on a booze cruise uh, out on the reserve, meaning that they were driving around and drinking. At one point, they stopped. Uh, there was an argument that took place between uh, Beulah Peters and Ms. Jacobs. And she got out of the truck and she was going to walk home uh, on Jubilee Road. The, the evidence of the trial was fascinating because she was texting her sister as she was walking home. So there was a good timeline there to see how far she was and what she was doing. Uh, and what happened, according to the witnesses at the trial, was that they the truck followed her, uh, stop, get out, talk to her, beg her to come back in the truck. She wouldn't, kept walking, then they'd go after her again. And eventually what happened is she was almost home on and uh, was walking on a road that was, actually it's paved, but it's narrow and there's a ravine. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, she was wearing a bright pink jacket um, the, one of the witnesses who was in the truck said that she could see her and told Ms. Jacobs to slow down, but it was too late and she hit her. Mm. Uh, Beulah Peters died of a catastrophic brain injury. Um, there were, there were other things during the trial that were, you know, it was an unusual situation. There was an ambulance nearby going to a non-emergency event. Who happened upon this scene? Uh, it was there was evidence of of uh, Ms. Jacobs uh, being belligerent and, and to the paramedics and eventually to the police officers who showed up. And there was a lot of chaos. Uh, uh, Ms. Peters' parents came to the scene because they were right near there, and they took Ms. Peters to the hospital. They took Ms. Jacobs to the OPP. And in the con- in, in the chaos and the and and what was happening. 
Ms. Jacobs was put into a cell at the OPP and was released the next morning and there was no breathalyzer ever taken. Wow. So that became a big issue at the trial. But as Justice Thomas said yesterday, there was plenty of evidence that that pointed to severe impairment. And he had no no problem with the jury's uh, uh, verdict that there was impaired driving causing death. Now, she was she was acquitted of a couple of other charges. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but the main one, which is the big one, was the impaired death. And that is what she was being sentenced for yesterday. Um, <clears throat> she uh what was interesting at the sentencing and of course we I, I want to preface this with the fact that I've sat through a lot of a pair driving causing death cases and and they all run on a similar trajectory it's it's usually the accused <clears throat> or the convicted person the driver is you know someone who's a pro-social uh uh you know person usually without a criminal record who decided to get into a car and drive drunk uh, this is not a case where you're you're dealing with hardened criminals. You're dealing with people who have found themselves in a situation uh, and making a decision that has been been a terrible decision. And mm-hmm. and that came through yesterday too. I mean, we had victim impact statements from from Ms. Peters' family. Um, one of whom is her sister, and I can just as a sidebar, her sister. Uh, I covered her trial just last month, and she was convicted of impaired driving, causing death for a separate incident involving. It was about uh, a year and a half later. Wow. Um, a year yeah, and a half um, after her sister was killed by an impaired driver, she was yeah. convicted of impaired driving? She was arrested. Yeah. Arrested. She was arrested a year and a half after her sister died. She was arrested for impaired driving causing death. Wow. And was convicted by a jury last month. Hmm. Um, and also, uh, it was it was actually kind of an, an, you know, an unusual sentencing hearing in that... Um, Usually during sentencing hearings, you will get letters of reference, for example, letters of support from people. Those are usually filed uh, with the judge. The judge reads them. Um, The defense may make some uh, reference to them, obviously. Uh, But in this case, they were all read in. Uh, And and the the pitch from the the defense was for a conditional sentence, uh, taking into account what we call Gladue factors. Indigenous offenders are given, uh, are on request, they can have something called a GLADU report, which is a specialized pre-sentence report, which looks into the impact and effects of colonialism and, and, and residential schools and, you know, and abuse and neglect that has had on the person's life sure. and in their life history. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not a free pass. I think that that's one thing that the public needs to understand. A GLADU report is not a free pass. It, there has to be some de- de- demonstrated uh, effect that the upbringing and, and, and heritage has had on the person who, that has led them to that point. Sure. I just say that as, a, as an aside. So she um, did ask for, Miss Jacobs did ask for a GLADU yeah. report. Yeah, yeah. I think she. I think it was a twenty-seven page page report. They're they're always very lengthy and they're very in depth and they're they yes they they go into the person's background, not just their immediate background but their generational background as well. It's okay. very interesting. Sure. Um, however, in her case, she was raised in a very you know it, it, it's limited. That was the impression I got. There 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 is a limited connection to the type of of um, abuse and neglect and addiction that we see 
in other cases. Justice Thomas said it himself. He said, I see cases of Indigenous offenders all the time who mm. were witness to abuse every day of their childhood. That's and he's and to quote him, he says, that's not Kelly Jacobs. Right. Okay. He has a diploma from Fanshawe. She has a job with the with with the health center. She is a valued employee there. The the idea of a conditional sentence that was that was put forward by the defense was to give her a chance to 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 rehabilitate at home that that she's that she's paid a price and she's remorseful. Mm-hmm. The problem is this: we live in southwestern Ontario, which is kind of if if I use a phrase ground zero for impaired driving causing death cases. Mm. We've changed law here and on here for the country here in southwestern Ontario because of the number of, of, of tragedies that shouldn't have happened. Wow. And uh, that began as far as increasing the tariff for impaired driving happened around, two, I want to say 2010, might have been 2008. It was a, a case here in town of a of a, a, a young man who um, crashed his pickup truck into another pickup truck. It was a fiery crash. Two children died and a guy and his friend died. And he, he was given an eight-year sentence. Mm. And that was unheard of. But it pushed the Court of Appeal to say, these cases need to be taken seriously. And if you're going to drive drunk, you're going to go to prison. Why are there but so many of those cases here in this area? Well, because people haven't learned to learn their lesson, I guess. I don't know, Rachel. I mean, like, right. like one of the things that, that we that is that the courts try to do when they're sentencing on these cases, and if you'll recall what I said about these people are usually good people who haven't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. There has to be something called general de- deterrence. And general deterrence means sending a message to the community that says, if you drive drunk and you kill somebody, you're going to prison. Sure. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um and you would hope that would happen, but like it's, I always find when I'm sitting in court during these cases, they'll do the, a, a review of, of, of the case law. And I know that those of us who cover court will sit there and we can, we can count off as they do them, all the cases that we've covered. That they, we know these cases because we were sitting in the courtroom when these people were sentenced. Right. And um, so the Crown is asking for seven years in this case. Uh, the defense is asking for a conditional sentence, asking the judge to take into account Indigenous heritage. And this is a person who rehabilitation wise would do better mm-hmm. uh, living in the community or going to uh, in the alternative. She's already received confirmation that she could go to a healing lodge. OK, so uh, I was going to ask you what would be involved in the conditional sentencing. What, yeah. what would be the difference between in the community and going to the healing lodge for her? Well, she would she'd be receiving the the, the healing lodge would be a, a one year rehabilitation program uh, for um, alcoholism and mental health issues. Okay. And you know that these are you know re, 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 restorative justice principles are are something that 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 the you know particularly for Indigenous offenders because they are overrepresented in our in our criminal justice system. Um, these are measures that that these are options that are out there that that need to be tapped into. Mm. This case is an impaired driving causing death case. This is a little bit different. So I think for Justice Thomas, I mean, he's, I will, I'm, I'm curious to see how he handles this. He, he did make it clear though, that, that, you know, he has no trouble. There, there was, there was some 
let me back up there there, there was a, there, there was some efforts on the part of the defense to point out that Beulah Peters was impaired. It was a narrow road. It was dark. Mm -hmm. um, there were no skid marks. Uh, however, <laughs> however, I don't know how much difference that makes. Sure. And clearly the fact that she was impaired really doesn't make any difference. Right. right? In sure. terms of yeah. Ms. Ms. Peters. So sure. yep. we'll, we'll see what he does. It's, 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 a uh, you know, it, it, it's, again, one of the many cases of impaired driving causing death that we see across the region. And, it, and it's, one, you know, one too many, once again, it, yeah. it, it just does not seem to, to dis dissipate. Right. There were um, several people in the car with them when, when Miss uh, Peters was hit. And I just was, and so a lot of them had testified along with the paramedics and the police officers that were there that night. And I wondered if you knew what the argument between uh, Miss Jacobs and Miss Peters was about. Um, was Miss Peters at all worried about her driving and wanted to get out of the car for that? Do we know anything oh, yeah, about I that? Don't think that's, I don't think that's what it is. I think everybody okay. was, everybody had a lot to drink. Right. right. Yeah. And there, there was there, there was a lot of gaps in memory and, and they were also in collision. Right. So sure. um, there were some gaps in memory and and yeah, it wasn't specific. Right. They'd and, all been quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing which you did mention is that there was no breathalyzer test given that night. Um, was that a main focus of this trial? Absolutely. I mean, and even yesterday, uh, uh, the def defense brought up the fact that there was no readings. And that's when Justice Thomas said there is a lot of evidence here of, of impairment that mm -hmm. you, you don't need that blood alcohol content reading to convict somebody of impaired driving. And, and that's absolutely true. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, there, there's it, it's more than just a number. It's more than just an over 80 milligrams of alcohol in 100 milliliters of blood. Absolutely. There's lots of indication that someone is impaired and you can be, and you can convict on that. Sure. So she yeah. hasn't been sentenced yet. She when when are we, when will we hear about that? Well, Justice Thomas has set May 12th as okay. sentencing date. Uh, so that'll be, uh, yes, he will deliver his dis decision then. Sure. So um, he needs some time. He needs some time to write it and, and, you know, craft it and, and think it through. Um, this is, this is a pretty routine way that these cases fall. Right. Yes, Jane, I want and we'll certainly watch for your updates because I know you'll be there um, to hear what the sentence is on May 12th. But let I want to talk about your career because personally, it fascinates me that you are in court every day covering these cases. I'm assuming you don't hear a lot of good news in your day to day. Well, I, I, I think I'd put it this way. I, I, you know, I, I meet a lot of really nice people. I mean, let me put it that way. And, and I. I often say to families, you know, that will talk to me, who give me the, who, who are kind enough to talk to me when I'm, I'm, I'm covering these cases, that I meet an awful lot of nice people under very bad circumstances, because mm -hmm. I meet them on, on the worst days of their lives, often. Um, however, I do think court reporting, beyond the fact that it's good storytelling, which I you know, I always fall back to it. It's also a really important um, reflection of what's going on in, in the community. And it, it, it gives some sense of um, who we are and, and the issues that we're facing. Um, and I, I think about that a lot 
the impaired driving cases is just one example, but you know, uh, the proliferation of gun violence in this city, we're seeing more guns come through. Uh, the trafficking of fentanyl, uh, we see, we're seeing a lot of fentanyl traffickers come through. Uh, uh, you know, the, you, you get a sense of what, of, of the trends that are affecting the city uh, in a, in a broader sense, simply by what's happening in courtrooms. Mm-hmm. You know, is, as we, sorry, go ahead, Rachel. Is court reporting a privilege or a burden, do you think? Oh, it's a, it's a privilege, hmm. right? I mean, you know, I, I, I had a judge say to me many years ago when I started this that, you know, sometimes you, you might feel like I, I, you know, she didn't she didn't say this, but this is what what you sometimes feel like. You feel a little bit like an like an inter- interloper sitting there. Right. Because, you know, there's a lot there's people there who are all there for a purpose. But she said to me, she said, don't ever feel like that because, you know. Reporters, journalists are as important as the judges and the lawyers and the court clerks and registrars and 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 officers and simply because without court reporting we don't know what happens there we're the we're the megaphone to say this is what's going on in your community yeah the work doesn't mean much unless people know about it right so that's why you do it that's why we cover court do we get good stories out of it? Absolutely. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's, it is, it is what, whatever journalism always is. It's a witness to, to, to history, right? I mean, sure. there have been monumental cases that I've had the privilege to cover um, that have really meant something to, to this, to this uh, city. You know, Absolutely. I, I the, you know, the Bandito Massacre comes to comes to mind for me always. Uh, in Chatham, Kent, it's the Father Sylvester case. Mm. Um, these are really important issues that need to needed to be litigated, and also needed to be covered. Yeah. So, do you, you ever bring either... bring it home with you? Does it affect you in any way? Have or well, have you learned probably. to? I'm not going to say it doesn't, <laughs> but yeah. Um, you know, you. You learn how to compartmentalize it, right? Yeah. Work is work and home is home, right? I've been lucky enough to be a mom. So that's, that's, that can take your mind off it a little bit. Well, because, well, you know, you, you know, I think police officers, doctors, lawyers, everybody does the same thing. And once you, you take that hat off, once you walk back in. The, yeah. Right. I feel That's like I could cool. I could ask you questions all day, but I did ask you this this one last question. And I asked you off camera first. Do you even like people anymore? <laughs> After seeing kind of the worst of the worst. Some, I mean, you did say that you meet some really great people, too. But do you like people? What do you think of people now in general? Oh, you know what? I, I I'm not going to say I don't like people. I, I like people, but I, I am constantly amazed. At the creativity that goes into um, into the thoughts of some people on how to hurt somebody else. I'm amazed mm-hmm. by that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, wow, how'd you dream that up? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. You know, it, 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 it really does kind of floor me at times that, right. that, you know, when you're, when you're covering stories that, that, you know, there, there's, you know, I, I think the thing is too about covering court is that I think that there is a general idea that you broke the law. So therefore you go to jail. It's very nuanced. The words on the page are one thing, but the actual thing that happens is something else. Right. Right. Yeah. So 
and there's there's all kinds of elements that contribute to that. It can be mental illness, it can be addiction, it can be poverty, it can be physical abuse, it can be sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, what motivates people or what makes them who they are uh, pushes them in that direction. It isn't always, it's not not so easy as to say, lock somebody up and throw away the key. I mean, you need to look at people for who they are and and craft uh, their future in a way that, they can be productive members of our society. Mm, So I think that's the way I look at it. I mean, I've seen cases of of young people who've been given, you know, second chances and they've, they've made it work. Right. So, and that's positive from your job, right? You can, you can see those things, which is nice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also a positive to know that we're, we're, we're thinking about uh, justice in, in a different way all the time. Right. And looking at new alternatives and, and, and realizing, you know, that sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll take the pandemic as an example. It became abundantly clear from the very beginning that housing everybody out in a crowded jail in South London was not a good idea during a pandemic. And we needed right. to find creative ways to handle that. Yeah. And we did, right? You know, the other part I will say is that probably the biggest change I've seen happen during the pandemic is that is the, is the fact that the criminal justice system has been has been dragged kicking and screaming and in, into into the, into technology mm. but now i can tune into a court by zoom uh, certain courts will still let me tune in by zoom to watch what's happening i don't have to make those trips down to the courthouse as much um most of, for bigger cases obviously they happen in person but we figured out that if somebody's just making a routine appearance, they don't have to be there, right? right? We can do it by Zoom. We can do things in in completely creative ways that doesn't take away from the whole process. Right. Expedites so, things too a little bit, I bet. Well, that's probably been the biggest change I've seen over 20 mm-hmm. years of covering this. So, wow. or 22, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we won't count. We won't count. Well, Jane, thank you so much. I'm sure there's more. There's so much more we could talk about, but we will definitely uh, watch for your stories on lfpress.com. Uh, the sentencing for Miss Jacobs is out on May 12th. So we'll watch for your story on that for sure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rachel.